Welcome to the Presilience Podcast, Episode 6, with Chief Risk Officer of the VMIA, John Brennan. I'm your host, Joe Saunders. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of the Presilience Podcast. Today, I am joined by John Brennan. John is the Chief Risk Officer of the VMIA, the Victorian Managed Insurance Authority, the Victorian government's insurer, essentially. Uh, John has an interesting background. He's not a traditional risk manager. Uh, He comes from a long HR leadership and coaching background. Uh, And that certainly influences his approach to risk and his appreciation of the human factors that go into risk management. We have a very detailed and engaging chat. I think there's a lot of actionable intel here for risk managers uh, and managers of other areas alike. Uh, John is also going to be speaking at our upcoming online conference, uh, the uh, Risk to Recovery Conference. Uh, I'll put the link for registration in the show notes if you'd like to check that out. I highly recommend it. I'll also be speaking. Uh, But uh, John was a very highly regarded and uh, much appreciated uh, speaker at our last online conference, so I'm sure he will deliver in spades again. So without further ado, here is Mr. John Brennan. John, thanks for joining us on the Resilience Podcast. It's great to have a conversation with you at all times, but it's uh, nice to finally do it in this format as well. Thanks, Joe. Great to talk again. So uh, we, we speak in interesting times, and uh, I'm sure everyone is uh, just about COVIDed to death at the moment uh, in terms of listening to, to uh, different talking heads and, and what's going on and whose fault it was and how bad it's going to be and how we get out of it. But um, let's, uh, let's start at the beginning when it comes to you. Uh, so, so I mentioned in the introduction, uh, you're the CRO for VMIA, uh, which is the Victorian Government's Insurance Agency, but you're not a typical risk guy, uh, for, for lack of a better term. You, uh, you don't come from purely risk backgrounds. So just walk us through your, your career journey. Yeah, that's, that's, that's 100% right. I, um, I feel sometimes like a bit of an imposter. Um, but, uh, so, yeah, look, uh, I've had, I've had a, a long career in human resources, um, 20 years in HR. Um, I've always enjoyed it. Um, I've, I've worked my way through the whole spectrum of HR, got very involved in industrial relations early on, um, then more into organisational dynamics, into strategic HR, looking at how systems worked, um, how systems and frameworks um, develop and, and uh, put to their best effect, and then kind of branched into the area of um, behavioural psychology um, in, in recent years, specialising in leadership and culture work. Um, and again, I've always loved it that there's been no, um, you know, decision that that wasn't for me, but it really, there was a, there was a real moment, um, in 2018 for me, um, when I was watching the Hain Royal Commission, the Financial Services Royal Commission in Australia, I was listening to a lot of the, um, a lot of the, the testimony that was, that was going on. I was paying a lot of attention to, um, Commissioner Hain. Um, I devoured all of that that input, um, and it it really struck me that the things that I felt were um, quite logical and and sensible were the sort of things that the major financial institutions seemed to be failing with. Um, when the report, the final report came out, and and we were able to dip into more of the information, 
that that really was the moment and I'd, I'd you know written some reports and some some documents around this for my own business um, and basically took the view that um, you know financial institutions financial services institutions are, are particularly good at managing financial risk that's that's what they're designed to do um, they have you know great teams of actuaries and uh, financial um, investment experts who make sure that they're on track um, and the um, financial risks that, that these organizations deal with um, are really empirical They're, you know you can you can be really precise in your measurement of risk but the Hain Commission made really clear that non-financial risk is where they completely messed up um, and you know that that's that's what I do I've been dealing with non-financial risk more specifically human risk people risk um, for the last 20 years and and so I, I became really attracted to understanding how we might bridge that gap um, and in the business that I work in the uh, I wrote some papers for the board and um, for my sins the board actually said well look if you're serious about this um, we need a chief risk officer um, so how about you have a, a change of environment and jump in there and um, that's what I've been doing and um, uh, it, it's interesting it's a couple of years now but I've loved it I've completely loved the transition everything I've learned in the HR space over 20 years I've taken with me um, I think I wrote a blog at one point about the fact that the world of strategic HR and the world of strategic risk are actually exactly the same things and the two professions just don't realize it yet um, I think as time goes on there'll be more and more acceptance that um, these worlds are, are much similar, much more similar than they are different. Yeah, uh, and I'm sure that's something we'll unpack as we go through the interview. Uh, you know, we, we share a background in that I'm also very, very focused on human-based risk and behavioral risk. But uh, what are the, some of the elements, you, you mentioned you sort of were uh, thrown under the bus in a, in a way. <laughs> yeah, careful what you suggest, because it might be your project. Uh, it's ha happened to me a few times. But, uh, what were some of the... Uh, some of the things you felt carried over really well from a HR and leadership background into risk. Um, yeah, look, it's a, it's a good question. I, the, the thing that the prevailing sentiment and, you know, if it's, it's not a, um, it's not a document that I'd suggest many people would be naturally attracted to the three volumes of the Hain Royal Commission findings. Um, but there's some really interesting stuff in there about organizational culture um, and, you know, and top down leadership. And, you know, that's, that's my thing. That's the stuff that I, I'm a student of. Um, I've been running leadership programs for a long time, and it just struck me, you know, every time I, I looked for some new information around the the um, Royal Commission and the different financial services institutions, just how important the role of culture plays in in setting um, a risk um, appetite, setting a risk environment, um, and some of the things that I guess we take for granted in understanding, you know, um, behavioral psychology and um, I guess more in, in recent times, we talk about behavioral economics, um, but the way that people make decisions, the way that they are susceptible to influence and bias, um, it, it can't be underestimated how important that is um, in managing your organization, in making decisions, and when you're dealing with with you know big money um and you're dealing with you know major client investments or, or you know client programs 
just how important some of those decisions are and, and just how easy it can be to get that wrong. Um, not, you know, if, if you trust your instincts and you do what you think is the right thing to do um, for the sake of the organisation, rather than taking a step back and looking at, you know, what is the overall ecosystem that we're dealing with here? Um, you can fall victim to making decisions that uh, don't hold up over time. Uh, and that's what was born out through the Royal Commission. Yeah, I think that's a, it's a really interesting point you raised there about culture, because uh, I mean, if you, if you go to any risk uh, conference in the last 12 months, two years, maybe even longer, uh, the, the, the driving phrase is risk culture, risk culture, risk yep. leadership. And that's got nothing to do with numbers. Yeah, yeah. risk has so historically been associated with, with, as you said, financial risk. It's about, it was an accounting function or a legal function. It had nothing to do with people. But what we are now seeing is that the only way you actually mitigate risk in a, in a, broad, se in a broad sense is to change your culture and, and to change attitudes towards risk. Um, and you and I are both graduates of the, the um, Grad Cert Psychology of Risk program. And I'm not sure if it was there or in the, in the related readings that I first heard the phrase that uh, human beings aren't rational creatures, they're rationalizing creatures. <laughs> and I think that was, that's so accurate with risk. It doesn't matter what guidelines we have, what policies and procedures we have written, people will do what they do and then they'll come up with a narrative that supports it. It's, yeah. it's that's, really that's so, so true. I mean, I, I, I hold really firmly to the belief and, that you know, and I and it's more than a cliche, but I do believe that in organisations, people are our greatest asset, um, and you know that is a bit of a cliche in some organisations. But I also strongly believe that people are our greatest risk, and um, those two things aren't binary. Um, if you can't accept that those two things can live together and operate together, um, then you will you'll miss you'll miss risk, you'll miss miss opportunity. Um, but most importantly, where there's human systems involved, there are going to be risks that open up continually. Um, and, you know, we are all susceptible to influence um, and to power and to, you know, bias and heuristics and shortcuts in decision making. And, you know, sometimes just getting through the day. Um, and, and often that's where the simplest mistakes can compound. And um, that's where, you know, small risks turn into, you know, in, into bigger, um, bigger issues over time. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's, it, it's just so profound. I think this idea that what well, it shouldn't be profound to say that human beings are our biggest risk. I mean, if in a perfect world, you can just write the system and it works. Hmm. Uh, but whenever something goes wrong, it's because someone made a mistake or someone, someone made a judgment call that was inaccurate, wasn't supported, whatever. Um, but that said, if we take away that, uh, that autonomy, we also lose our greatest strength, which is the creativity and the leadership and the relationships that come with human beings. Yeah, uh, that's right. It, it, look, it's, it's, not a, it's, it's, not a, it's actually not a popular conversation. Um, there's almost an element of it's, it, it being this, this conversation being frowned upon in, in the corporate world at times. Um, because what I'm not saying and, I, and what you're not saying is that people are bad. You know, this is the classic type one, type two personalities. Um, you either believe people are inherently good or inherently bad. This is not the conversation that we're having. This is about whether people are fallible. And, and yes, I fundamentally believe that most people are good and they will come to work and they will do the best that they can every day. 
and you can inherently trust them. Um, but we make mistakes and, and we, we overlook things. Um, we're not machines. Um, uh, that's, that's one of the, the, you know, the issues that we're facing these days, but it's also the greatest advantage that we have that we're not machines. Um, and so we're not seeking to eliminate risk. Um, in some cases, there may be some times that we want to eliminate risk, but basically what we're trying to do is understand where the risks lie so that we can be prepared for when things do go wrong. And I think that's increasingly where this profession is heading, um, not ticking boxes and putting heat maps together and um, you know, colour coding things, red, amber or green. Um, it's about understanding what makes your organisation tick, what are the opportunities, what are the gaps, what are the risks, and when things go wrong, how can we bounce back as quickly as possible? And how can we train ourselves and develop systems where we can, we can be ready to bounce back, we can be ready to take action early, um, rather than waiting and becoming crisis managers? Yeah, uh, there's, there's so much gold in what you just said there. I'd be interested in the, um, the other side of the, the question I asked, uh, initially asked here, what were the things that carried over? What were the biggest challenges for you transitioning into this? Um, uh, I think this is what, what I found was, um, a, a couple of things, um, you know, and, and again, I, it's probably true because I'm, I'm almost hesitating to say it, but it was the, the, the professional, um, snobbery or arrogance of the discipline. Um, you know, if you haven't come up through professional risk ranks, um, then you're not considered to. Um, you know, know what you're talking about. Um, you know, I, I'm, I've, you know, got a thick enough skin to not have to worry too much about that. But um, I did, and and still bump into people regularly who, you know, kind of want to know what the what my qualifications are, and you know, you know, where did I work, and you know, how do I, how would I know about something like that? Um, you know, the reality is the best risk managers are those with great rounded experience. Um, the stuff that was um, I think seen to be most important in the profession um, for in a lot of cases in days gone by um, around the ISO standards and understanding how risk frameworks operate. Um, that's admin um, and anyone can learn that. Um, but you know understanding how, you, how a business operates and um, how human behavior operates um, and the experience of leading organizations I think is just so much more important um, and I think more and more you'll see, uh, and, and the, 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 by the way, the overlaps with the HR profession are just as pr profound. Um, uh, I, I do often say that the worst thing that ever happened to human resources was that it became an undergraduate degree. Um, I, I've been around long enough that I predate um, HR degrees. Um, and, you know, when you've got a, a 21 or a 22 year old coming out um, working in an HR department, you know, telling highly experienced managers how to go about managing their people assets. Um, I, I often scratch my head. Um, similarly, you know, uh, a well-intentioned but uh, inexperienced risk professional telling really experienced senior leaders um, how to manage risks um, is often as head scratching. So they're the, I guess, the professional biases that I've noticed. Um, that said, the second, the second part was, you know, I came in here and, you know, was pretty bullish about how I wanted to change things. Um, and I'll, I'll say that I was unconsciously incompetent for a while um, in the professional discipline of risk management. And 
um, pretty quickly I became aware of the things that I didn't know. Um, and so my, my confidence slipped away pretty quickly then and I was on a pretty steep learning curve, which was, um, you know, the first time for me for probably, you know, 20 years that I'd had to, you know, master a whole new set of technical skills. Um, but that's half the fun. Um, so, you know, um, it, it piques my curiosity again to be able to, um, you know, look for new mentors and, and look for people to collaborate with and just, you know, kind of question everything um, because there's a, there's a kind of a, a paradigm of what I'd call administrative risk management um, that I'm really not that interested in. And there's another paradigm of dynamic, um, you know, strategic risk management that I think is incredibly important in, in, in business these days. And um, with the COVID-19 stuff, you know, this is, this is where the best risk managers are, are really shining right now um, because it's not, um, this is not unprecedented. This is not a black swan event. Um, you know, we knew it was coming. Um, it's interesting to understand and, and see which organisations have, have responded quickly um, and, have, and have not gone for that binary response as well not just said, oh, you know, this is this is a crisis and we have to go into crisis management, um, but who's been able to lead their organisations into adapting the way that they do what they do so that they can continue on a new setting, um, you know, providing service or providing, you know, widgets or whatever it is um, to clients. Uh, I think this has been a wonderful test and, and the very best will, will really separate themselves from this point onwards. You just mentioned question everything and I, I think, that, that could just about be the subtitle for the second half of 2020. <laughs> I think um, we're entering into a period where we have an amazing opportunity to reevaluate what was business as usual. Uh, I mean, we, we've had a, uh, an unprecedented halt in our, in our trading, in our, in our operations, uh, a disruption that we could never have planned to have. Uh, and, and now we hit, we're faced with a choice of, do we go back to how we were doing things just because that's a knee jerk reaction and it's comfortable? Or do we critically analyze what we were doing and see which elements need to come back and which elements need to move on? Uh, and, and I'd be really interested to see how we move forward on that. Uh, I know that's something you've got some thoughts on and it's probably the, the final topic for us to discuss because I'd be interested in your thoughts from a, not just from a risk point of view, but also as a, as a HR manager, as an executive coach, as a leadership coach, what do we need to focus on as we enter into the recovery phase? I mean, we're, we're now moving into... Uh, soon enough, we're going to be bringing people back into workplaces. Businesses are going to be operating again, mm. but we can't assume that our people are the same people that we had in February. That people are going to be damaged. They're going to be disrupted. It's going to be a whole bunch of different things going on. So, how do we manage that? Yeah, it's. I, look, I find this. I find this incredibly fascinating. And you know, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll declare my my views are no more. Um, you know, mature than anyone else's on this topic. So we're, we're, we're all exploring this together. Um, I, I think there's two parts in my thinking to this. One is, and I'm seeing a lot of this on social media and in, in kind of online discussions at the moment, the, you know, that everything will be different camp who, who says, you know, well, you know, there's a, there's a new, new ways of working and, um, you know, uh, we have to, we have to reinvent ourselves. Um, I, I'm not. I'm not completely signed up to that. Again, I, maybe it's just my refusal to to, to accept binary thinking, um, because um, I think there's 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 a biased investment in um, catastrophizing 
um, for the sake of wanting to um, in, inject change um, for, for you know our own specific reasons. Um, but equally, I accept that um, it, it's, it can never be the same. Um, so I think an opportunity now awaits most organisations to be to be very you know long sighted in stepping out. What does the what does our business need to look like? And uh, particularly those of us who've been sort of working remotely or been in isolation um, for a couple of months now, um, what are the what are the things that we've been doing that have actually enhanced our business? What have we learnt about ourselves? Um, uh, I, I, there's a there's a kind of an ongoing study that I'm doing, and I can't call it a study actually. That's completely exaggerating it. It's an observation that I'm making of of leaders in workplaces at the moment. Um, and again, I'm seeing this separation, the very best leaders with the greatest emotional intelligence and the desire for connection um, and, a, and a genuine care about both their people and their customers uh, are already separating themselves and they're proving to be much more effective than the rest. I think most leaders are doing okay, um, but that's, that's the thing that I wanna watch. What is it that the best are doing that have allowed them and their teams to thrive and that have given, um, whether it's in, a, in an industry like mine, which is service to clients um, in a way that's unanticipated, um, but really needed. What, what is that thing that's happening at the moment that we need to um, understand so that we can take that with us when we arrive at the future? Um, and, you know, whether, um, you know, offices are opening back up in the next couple of weeks or whether it's a few months away. That's the thing that I, I really encourage all of us as leaders to have conversations about, not the, it has to change and, you know, what do we throw out and what do we bring in? Um, but what are, the, what are the subtleties of exceptional service, exceptional leadership, exceptional stewardship that have really come to the fore over this period that we're going to reflect on that are the things that we want to take forward with us. Um, that's, that's fairly subtle, but in, in a sense, that's where I think the point of difference will be um, beyond the obvious, the obvious things, you know, yes, there'll be obvious things like, you know, blended workforces and a lot more working from home and a lot more, more working remotely. And um, those kind of old dinosaurs who said that, you know, if you're not sitting in front of me in the office, then I can't, you can't guarantee that you're productive and I don't trust what you're doing. Well, I think we've all proven that that's wrong now. Um, that that's 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 old thinking, um, but everyone knows that now. Oh, everyone should know that. That's that's pretty straightforward stuff. I'd like to think that if um, if that's an issue for your workforce, it's probably more of a culture issue than it is a an actual workflow issue. hundred oh, percent, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Um, you know, there'll be interesting pressures on, you know, what on what a typical office looks like. Um, I can imagine, you know, pressure to reduce floor plates. Um, you know, uh, what we've accepted as being necessary to operate a corporate environment um, may very well change. Um, we'll all be looking for cost savings moving forward. I think the other, the other aspect to this, which I think is still reasonably apparent, is that which um, support services in this time have become more necessary and which ones have been less necessary over time. Um, and therefore, um, what lessons do we take and we map into what our future operating models look like as well. Um, you know, I think we've, if we, if we reflect carefully, we'll understand that there are some things that 
we have taken for granted that operating organisations up until this point that maybe aren't as necessary as, as they need to be. Um, and probably also some roles or some, or some jobs that don't exist now that are probably going to be really helpful into the future. Um, but, you know, each, each organisation in a sense is different, but they're all, they've, they've all got lots of characteristics that are the same. Um, but as long as we don't take too much of a fixed view of, you know, what has to change and, and continue to be really curious about what's possible into the future, I think we'll get some, um, we'll get some really innovative um, solutions over the next few months. Absolutely. Uh, probably, probably one one question just came to mind that uh, you know I wasn't intending to ask this question, but as you're talking, it uh, brought to mind. I've had some some conversations offline over the the past couple of weeks with people from you know, risk backgrounds, crisis backgrounds, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, and uh, there is like this, they're fighting this urge to scream from the rooftops. I told you so. <laughs> Why didn't you listen to me two years ago? Yeah. Uh, and I think we're entering into a period where we may have a more, a more interested audience when it comes to talking about things like risk. And I've cautioned people to not abuse that privilege. <laughs> like don't, don't start trying to get, don't try start trying to get funding for every, every little project you've ever, you've ever wanted because people are, their ass is articulated at the moment <laughs> to that particular direction. But it's a great point. If you were to counsel other risk managers and other organizations about how they need to play the next, six to 12 months, uh, how that can be a best use to their organization. What would your advice be? Yeah. I, 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 what you just said, Joe, I think is, it, it's such a great point. Um, I, 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 my sense is that there's um, for, for those who haven't had a seat at the big table for the, you know, in, in major decision-making, your moment is arriving now and you've, earned an invitation to participate in the more substantive conversations, strategic conversations um, about what is truly important for an organization. Um, uh, what you've just said, first of all, is critically important. You know, um, you know, we have to be humble and not, uh, not, you know, exercise the, I told you so stuff, um, you know, uh, and, and that's difficult at times because, you know, the, the best risk professionals value has really been demonstrated over the last couple of months. Um, but having gotten the invitation to the, to the big, to the main table, um, this is where we have to continue to operate at a level that um, allows us to sit above the organization and, and look at, look at the whole ecosystem that the organization's operating in and not get, for many, not get dragged back into nickel and diming um, particular risk conversations, or or um, getting on our getting you know getting on our hobby horse around particular issues that that we've driven that in in the scheme of things are actually quite micro, um, and they were there last year and the year before. They'll be there tomorrow, and they'll be there in another two years' time. But are they the things that can harm the organisation or can kill it? And just as importantly. Um, are you now in a position where you can influence the organization to start looking over the, hori the horizon at the risks that you know might be there, but also the opportunities that you know might be there? Um, you've got to bring a really um, uh, kind of broad perspective. Um, you've got to understand your business, um, but you've also got to understand that the key decision makers 
don't want to don't want to get dragged back down into really deeply operational risk conversations um, that can and should be dealt with by line managers every day. If you want a seat at the main table, you've got to be thinking about the strategy of the organisation um, and helping leaders focus on the things that they can't see, that you know are out there, um, that have the, have the um, possibility of really harming or really enhancing the organisation. That's probably the best advice I could give. Like that's a very strong note to leave things on and it's a, some fantastic advice for, for myself and for many others as well. Uh, John, you're going to be speaking at our upcoming webinar, the, the mini conference, uh, the Risk to Recovery conference on the 27th of May. So uh, make sure you check out the show notes for that, the link to buy tickets to listen to John. He, his, uh, his talk at our last mini conference was one of the most popular uh, and uh, probably the most highly commented talk. So uh, you'll... Uh, You've got, a, you've got a free sample today. <laughs> but, <laughs> but buy a ticket to hear more in a more structured format. Uh, John, thanks very much for your time. Uh, always enjoy sitting down to have a chat. And uh, as soon as the restrictions are lifted, we need to do it over a beverage. Absolutely. Great to talk to you again, Joe. Thank you once again to Mr. John Brennan for his amazing insight into risk management and managing people. If you'd like to hear more from John, make sure you check out our Risk to Recovery conference, the link for tickets will be in the show notes uh, as well as on our website at www.risk2solution.com. Until next time, stay resilient.